Hello, Grace Downtown. Uh, it's good to see you in this format, but I'm excited to see you in person. Want to give you a few updates about our live service, which we are planning on relaunching July 12th. We want to make it a worshipful and safe environment for everyone, so we have taken provisions to do so. You can find some frequently asked questions and information on the Grace website, graceb3.org, and click on the Downtown FAQ section, and you will be able to answer all of your questions. A couple of things I want to note here today is that we are, have planned out uh, the arrangement of the whole building so that you can socially distance from others. So you can come, and you can find a seating option that works for you, um, and spread out from other people and worship the Lord, but in a safe environment. So we have had a team of volunteers working together with our staff to come up with some great options for you. So if you want to sit close to others, you can, but if you want to sit away from others, you can as well. We also want to assure you that our staff and volunteers will all be wearing masks. Our service is mask optional, but we wanted to let you know that our volunteers and staff will be wearing masks, and we encourage you to do what is most loving for others when it comes to masks. Another thing that you can look forward to is if you have small children, we do not have any kids' classes, no nursery uh, for the time being, but we are going to live stream the service down to our common room where we normally have our nursery so that moms with uh, small antsy children uh, can play with their kids, the kids can run around, but the parents can still watch uh, the service on TV. So we want to be able to provide that for you to lower another barrier for you and your kids coming to service. We look forward to seeing you. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we are going to hear a sermon from Pastor Brooks. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking and acting during this time of social distancing and uh, being apart physically. Uh, God, we look forward to the day, uh, Lord willing, when we can be back together worshiping you and hearing from your word and fellowshipping together. Uh, God, we thank you that you speak even during difficult times. God, we pray that as we open up your word and as we look at the Passover, that we would be so thankful for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your print Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 11 and also 12. Or if you've stepped into the new technology, open your app, your smartphone, and get yourself to Exodus uh, chapter 12. Before we get to the text, though, just a brief and a quick reminder. We are opening, and we will be going live in person next week, uh, uh, July 12th. So I want to make you aware of that. Our service times has, have changed. As we mentioned the last few weeks, we will have two live services here in North Liberty, 8 a.m., and then again at 10 a.m., and then we will also have an online service, which will also run at 10 a.m. on YouTube. The 8 a.m. service is mask only. The 10 a.m. service is mask optional, so keep that in mind. Also, the downtown church will be meeting at 5 p.m. in the downtown location at Old Brick. Um, if you are planning to attend, we are asking you to please RSVP. Seating will be limited, so we can uh, keep social distancing. So we need to know how many people to expect. RSVP is now open. You can go to our website, graceb3.org backslash reopen. You can also call the church, 319 
626-2040 to RSVP as well. Uh, expect a video that's going to be coming through your email this week. It's going to be a video walkthrough so that you will know what to expect next Sunday. Uh, so watch for that. Also, if you have questions, you can go to our website uh, and open uh, the Frequently Asked Questions section on the webpage. So the text this morning that we're going to be looking at is Genesis, not Genesis, rather, Exodus chapter 12. Uh, the whole story is the story of the Passover. So what we've seen in weeks prior, we've seen uh, God take um, the Israelites and the Egyptians through the nine plagues. Now we are coming up on the 10th plague. If you remember, God says, let my people go so that they may serve me. In Pharaoh, his heart is hard and he refuses. So we are now up to the very last and the final showdown between God, the Hebrew God, and the God of the Egyptians and the liberation of his people. So I'm going to read the first 13 verses of chapter 12. Please read along with me and then we will get into the message this morning. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then... They shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and to lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs that they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and all its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning." Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat of it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What we are looking at this morning is the liberation of God's people from bondage. We are studying here the Passover. The Passover is, is likened to our, as a nation, Independence Day. Only it is far more rich, it is far more significant than even than our own Declaration of Independence. This is the day 
in which an entire enslaved people are set free by God. And he uses a very, very strange mechanism to bring about that freedom, the Passover lamb. So in each family, under bondage in Egypt, they are required to take a male spotless lamb without blemish, and they are to sacrifice this lamb, and they are to roast it, and they are to consume it. And they are to take this blood from this sacrificial lamb, and they are to smear it on the doorposts and the, and the header of the door so that the, 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 the angel of death, the Passover, as the pa- plague comes through, God will look upon, look upon those who are covered with the blood and pass over them. And those not covered with the blood, the firstborn in every house, whether slave, whether rich, uh, even the animals, every single household, any firstborn would be taken. Strange, strange ritual, strange ritual, strange occurrence, and yet this is uh, the, the beginning of the greatest liberation in the history of actually all nations. So we're going to take a look at that, and what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at the question of what it means to be free. Freedom. What is it? What is it? And how do you get it? Three things that we're going to see from Exodus chapter 12. We're going to take a look, first of all, at what man's notion of freedom is what we want. Now, in this, we're not going to be spending a great deal of time in Exodus chapter 12. We'll spend a little bit of time in Exodus chapter 2, but then we'll look basically generally what we expect uh, freedom is, what mankind, whether it's the Hebrews uh, thousands and thousands of years ago or Americans today or anywhere in between all over the world, what do people want when they say, I want to be free? Second thing we're going to look at is what God offers as true and real freedom. That is, what we get, what we get, what we want, and then what we get. And then the last thing we're going to be looking at is our response, our response to God's offer of freedom in Christ. Our response is going to be one of two things. You get to choose slavery or freedom, slavery or freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in the word. We thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Passover lamb, which is Christ our Lord. And we pray that as we open up this Bible and we look at the text, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that Christ would be exalted and that hearts would be liberated, set free. I pray, Father, that you would do a work in each of our hearts, that we might live in freedom and for the first time for many people that they might embrace the freedom that comes through what Christ has done on the cross. Uh, Give me words that I might speak that bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get to it. What we want. If you backtrack to Exodus chapter 2, and this was like one of the first sermons we did in this series. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned, groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cries for rescue from slavery came up to God. So if you look at What we want, when we're talking about freedom, whether it is Hebrew slaves under the oppression and tyranny of Pharaoh, or whether it is colonists in uh, in, in the 1700s in the United States, yet to be the United States, whether it is anyone in any part of the world, in any history, what do people want? What do they mean when they say, we want freedom? What people generally mean when they say, I want to be free, is they want to be free, if you look at the text here, free 
from something. Free from something. Patrick Henry, most of you, if you're familiar with American history, even a little bit, you're familiar with the very famous saying, which was about a year before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He said, give me liberty or give me death. Considered to be a great patriot, a man who wanted his freedom, freedom from tyranny, freedom from oppression. Now let's look at this statement. What does he want? What does Patrick Henry say? I want this or I want death. He wants what? Liberty. Now, what do we mean when we say we want freedom, we want liberty? Let's take a look at the definition of liberty. The definition of liberty from Webster's Dictionary is the state of being free within society, you ready for this, from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. So when we're looking in the Exodus, when God's people cried out, cried out to God to deliver them from slavery, they had a similar notion that Patrick Henry had. They wanted to be delivered from something. Now, for the Hebrew people, that was delivered from the oppression and bondage that they suffered under Pharaoh. They wanted to be delivered from Pharaoh, from Egypt. The colonists, Patrick Henry included, wanted to be delivered from the tyranny of King George, taxation without representation, and so forth and so on. They wanted to be delivered from this tyranny. Ironically, the slaves that were under the colonist rule wanted to be delivered from the slavery and bondage that they experienced. That is what mankind is always learning for. We cannot help it. We are hardwired to desire and want liberty, freedom from oppression, freedom from tyranny. There is a, uh, a number of signs, Americana, if you will, memorabilia from the, the Revolutionary War, different sayings. There's the don't tread on me saying. There is the give me liberty, give me death. And here is a, is a particularly popular one that I came across just recently in studying for this message. Uh, there's a shop in Philadelphia, an antique store, where there's all these different signs, different common sayings during the Revolutionary War. And here was one of them. We serve... No sovereign here. Now, what does that mean? We serve no sovereign here. If you were to visit the colonies in, in the 1700s, 1776, 1775, 77, during the Revolutionary War, and you said, who's your king? They would respond, we serve no sovereign here. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. What are the implications of that? Why would a person say that? Well, obviously in that case, it's a, it's, a, it's a pendulum swing. Under the tyranny of King George, they want to be liberated from that oppression, from that tyranny, and they no longer want a king. So when they throw off the yoke of that, that kingdom and they say, we serve no sovereign here, what do you think of that? Is that a good thing? Do you agree with that? So here in the United States of America, would you agree? Would you say, I serve no sovereign here? Would you say we serve no sovereign here? You see, that's what we want. 
When we as Americans or people in general talk about freedom, what we typically mean is that we want freedom from. That's how we define freedom. We are liberated if there's nothing above us, no one over us telling us what to do and making us obey. If we could just be free from someone above us, a sovereign, a king, then we would be truly free. We'd be free from a sovereign. And I would propose to you, that's exactly what we are, and that's exactly why we are so jacked up. Because we have declared ourselves to be independent, not just from King George, but independent from any sovereign. And that is not a good thing if you are a follower of Christ. So, what do we get? What we want is to be liberated from oppression and tyranny. And by the way, that is a good thing. But to be liberated from all rule, to be liberated from any sovereign intervening and overseeing and giving us direction, that is not a good thing. So what do we get? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and we'll take a look at people who were not, who were not under tyrannical oppression, but they were politically suppressed. Let's take a look at John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Jesus says, said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus here is telling them, here's how you come about freedom. If you want to be liberated, you've got to be my disciple, and then you'll know the truth, and then you'll be truly free. Now, let's take a look at how, how the crowds respond to Jesus' offer of freedom by becoming his disciple. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Notice the dichotomy here. They want freedom, but they think they already have it. Jesus says, I come and I offer you freedom. You say, well, we're not slaves to anyone, so how can you say that we'll be free if we follow you? We're already free. We're already free. And I would submit to you that here in the United States of America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, that we are, among all people, a people most enslaved if we are not under the sovereign rulership of Christ as Lord. Now that rubs Americans the wrong way. We love our freedom. We love our independence. We serve no sovereign here. And that's exactly the problem. That's exactly the problem. Let's take a look at the Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence. In the preamble, Thomas Jefferson writes these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Zero in on that last phrase. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now again, what is liberty? Liberty is the to be uh, unshackled from oppressive rule, someone telling us what to do, so that we can then pursue our happiness. 
I would submit to you that that statement, we serve no sovereign here, is patently and categorically false. Here's the truth. The truth of the matter is whatever or whomever you serve in pursuit of happiness is your Pharaoh, is my Pharaoh. Here's the reality. We are freedom from, free from tyranny, external tyranny, but that still leaves us as slaves because whatever we serve, whoever we serve in the pursuit of that happiness, that becomes our new Pharaoh. We simply trade kings. We simply trade kings. King George to our own heart's desires or any number of things. Now, here's the problem with this. Freedom from Pharaoh or King George or any external form of governmental oppression is not enough. Freedom from is not true liberty. Freedom from is not true liberty. First of all, freedom from still leaves us enslaved to sin in the pursuit of our own happiness. This is what Jesus is getting at when he tells the, uh, the disciples and the Pharisees that if you are truly my disciples, you'll know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. And, the, and, the, and the, the Pharisees are like, wait a minute, we're not slaves to anyone. And he says, I tell you the truth, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So we can be free. We can be completely free from external oppression and external tyranny and yet still be enslaved to sin. I know, I mean, you can think of a million examples. Let's just take a look at a couple. First of all, addicts. Choose your poison. Sexual addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction, uh, work addiction. So pick your poison. So are those people free? Well, in one sense, yes. They're completely free to pursue whatever they believe will make them ultimately happy. And yet, in the pursuit of this happiness, they become further enslaved. Further enslaved. And even, even sometimes the pursuit of that happiness is to their own detriment, and they yet they know that. Or the pursuit of that happiness is to the detriment of their families, and yet they know that. And they still are compelled to pursue that happiness to their own harm and to the harm of others. Are they then free? Well, from external oppression, external tyranny, they're completely free. But they are not free from the bondage that comes in the human heart and sin. They have simply traded one human pharaoh for a far more powerful pharaoh that does not sit on a human throne. And they are no less enslaved than if they were literally enslaved, as the Hebrews were, under pharaoh. Freedom from, freedom from allows us also to behave as tyrants in the pursuit of happiness. So it's not just simply that we're slaves to our own sin, but as we have become liberated from an external oppressor, whether it be Pharaoh or King George or any other governmental oppression, we actually, because we are still enslaved to our sin, we actually then take the role of the tyrant we wish to displace. There's nothing more common or more mundane in human history than the oppressed being liberated and turning right around and becoming the oppressors. 
If you do a quick study on the French Revolution, you will see that those who were oppressed quickly became the oppressors. When you look at the Russian Revolution in 1917, you see that the oppressed quickly became the oppressors. It's, 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 it's universal. In, in the 1990s, you see the Hutus and the Tutsis, the oppressed, the Hutus, after liberation when the French left, and now they were in power, they quickly became the oppressors, and we have the Rwandan genocide. There's nothing more common. There's nothing more common. And our own history, our own history is not exempt from this. In fact, I would submit to you that this is universally true for all cultures everywhere for all times. Patrick Henry, the great statesman, give me liberty, give me death. Patrick Henry died on his deathbed having owned 87 slaves and yet was morally convicted and actually felt compelled to free them. But in a letter to a pastor, a letter to a friend, as he was writing about his opposition to slavery that he participated in, he said that he longed to free them and yet he was compelled not to because it wasn't economically viable. That's our history. That's our history. And and you may not like that as we just come off the back end of the 4th of July. You don't want to hear, you don't want to hear things about our forefathers. I tell you what, whoever writes history whitewashes history. And that's true of every single culture. Every single culture. Except this history. Right here. This book is the only book in which the forefathers of the faith are written with objectivity. Moses is a murderer. Abraham tried to sell his wife off twice as his sister to sell his own skin. Lot had children with his daughters. Judah had sex and a child with his own, his, his uh, daughter-in-law. I mean, you look at this. This is, this is Jerry Springer stuff. And these are our forefathers. And it's bald and it's gross. And you're like, why would God have anything to do with these people? Exactly. They're not to be worshipped. The God who liberated from, from the bondage of sin is to be worshipped. Our forefathers were great men, relatively speaking, but they were not righteous as Christ is righteous. They had clay feet, just like David, who was an adulterer and committed treason and murder in his own nation as head of state. Our forefathers were not less sinful or more sinful than King David. They were just men with human hearts enslaved to a different kind of Pharaoh. And that is the fact. And so those of you that are looking back and you're saying, you just suck it on, you just pour it on. Keep talking about the sins of the fathers, the sins of the fathers. Be careful lest you become guilty of what C.S. Lewis referred to as chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is the belief that your own generation, my generation, is far more righteous than the previous generations. We can look back at the history and we can see Patrick Henry and we can see Thomas Jefferson and we can see their views on slavery and we can think, how could these men be so blind and turn a blind eye to sin? And we can rail and we can chant and we can hold signs and we can demand that we repent of a nation and we should repent of the sins of our forefathers. And vow never to fall into them again. But be very, very careful of setting your own generation up as far more righteous. Because my generation and your generation 
100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, we will have to explain how 61 million unborn children were aborted. So we should all save ourselves the self-righteous savor of thinking that we are somehow better than our forefathers. Because here's the deal. When you're free from the tyranny of an oppressive government, that just simply means you are free to tyrannize others. If Christ is not your sovereign, you will. Whether, and I don't say this to shame those who have had an abortion or paid for their girlfriends or wives to have an abortion because under the blood of Christ, there is forgiveness and grace. For King David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. For Moses, who murdered an, an Egyptian and buried in the sand. And someone who had or participated in an abortion. That's not the point. The point is not to shame you. The point is just to simply say that we are all equal and level at the foot of the cross. And there is no one generation that is more righteous than another. Regardless of whether you are under the tyrannical form of government, of communism, or in a democratic republic like the United States of America. If you do not have Christ, you are still a slave. And you and I can and will tyrannize. There is not one person listening to this message or watching this message right now who has not participated in the tyranny and the, and the trampling of the dignity of another human being. It's only in scales of relatively to the degrees of that tyranny. That's just the nature of sin. It's just the nature of sin. No one is exempt. So what is God's offer? God's offer is not simply freedom from. That's what the Hebrew slaves were praying for. But he says, I want to free you not just from Pharaoh, but for something else. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. We say that God says, let my people go. Now, do you realize that let my people go, although a very famous statement, is never found in isolation in Exodus? In Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, 8, verse 20, 8, verse 21, 9, verse 1, 9, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13, and 10, verse 3, each and every time God says, let my people go to Pharaoh, it is always followed by the following clause. Let my people go, that they may serve me. We are not simply freed from tyranny and the oppression of the pharaohs of the world. We are free from the tyranny and the oppression of the pharaohs of the world so that we might be free for service to the one true God. So that statement, we serve no sovereign here, could not be more unbiblical. If you are a follower of Christ, you must serve a sovereign. And this is what God is saying. I will set my people free for worship. That word service and worship are interchangeable. Our service to God is our worship. And we were set free so that we may actually worship. Back to the Passover. The Passover, chapter 12. Jump ahead to verse 21. Verse 21. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. 
when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you. What we have here is the Passover. Now, Patrick Henry is a great man. Give me liberty or give me death. He was close. He was close, but not quite there. Because it is not give me liberty or give me death. It is liberty comes through death. Our liberation comes through the death of a substitute. There is no other liberation. We were liberated from sin and death and judgment. And we were liberated for service and worship. And that is through the Passover lamb, which symbolically here points and foreshadows the coming of Christ. In John chapter 1, the first chapter, verse 29, John the Baptist is baptizing there on the Jordan and he sees Jesus coming after his 40 days in the wilderness and he sees Jesus coming on the banks of the Jordan and he points and he looks to Jesus and he says, behold, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, refers to Jesus as our true and better Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is that Passover lamb. We are not saved by the blood of bulls. We are not saved by the blood of goats or the blood of little lambs that have been, been sacrificed for thousands of years in the Jewish culture. We are saved by what they represent, the one God-man substitute who took the sin of the world upon himself. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. In John chapter 19, after Jesus' arrest, his arrest, his trial before Pilate, Pilate tries to set him free, says, I find no charge against this man. I'm going to read for you John chapter 19, starting in verse 12. I want you to listen very carefully. If you have your Bibles, open them to that particular chapter. John chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, are you ready for this? It was the day of preparation, the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, that is noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Do you understand what just took place? On the moment at the temple in the preparation of the Passover, when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered and they were preparing to celebrate this very event from the freedom of their people, the Passover lamb was being prepared to be slaughtered. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. We are not simply freed from oppression and tyranny. We are freed for worship. But here's the bad news. Are you ready for the bad news? 
Here's the bad news. It's the worst news you're going to hear all year. Not COVID. That's not the worst news. Not the race riots. That's not the worst news. Here's the worst news. God is good. That's the worst possible news you will ever hear. Some of you are very confused right now. Because, wait a minute, if God is good, how could this be bad news? God is good. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And because he is good, holy, just, and righteous, sin cannot dwell in his presence. And he must punish sin. Paul says the wages of sin is death. And God is a just God, and he always pays the wages we deserve. That is absolutely the worst news you and I could ever hear. But here's the good news. God is not only good, he is not only just, he is not only holy, he is also gracious. He is also merciful. He is also loving. He is simultaneously just and simultaneously merciful. And because of that, we who are in bondage and oppress and tyrannize others, he hears our cries. He hears our groans. He sees our pain, even our self-inflicted pain. And he has compassion on those he has compassion. And he has mercy on those he has mercy. And the means by which he sets us free is to send his son to take on our sin. And Christ is a substitute. He did not come to teach us a better way. Jesus Christ came to be a sin bearer, to bear my affliction, to bear my shame, to bear my guilt, to bear my punishment. And that Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, was slain. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth number one, we are not free unless we are under the blood of the Lamb. Salvation was and is and forever will be by substitution. Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Christ is a substitute, but that that substitute must be appropriated. In in, in the Exodus story, God God says, I will make a distinction between you and the Egyptians. But then in verse 23 of chapter 12, God tells the Hebrews, do not go outside of your homes. For on that day, I will strike down the firstborn of every slave, every free man, and every animal. In other words, God makes no distinction. The wages of sin is death. Hebrews are sinners. Egyptians are sinners. Americans are sinners. Black people are sinners. White people are sinners. Males are sinners. Females are sinners. Transgendered are sinners. We're all sinners. We're all condemned under the law. We're all condemned under sin. But the wages of sin is gift, but the death or the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And God says, if you mark your homes on the doorpost and the lentil with the blood of the lamb, I will pass over you. And the scripture said, it's by grace through faith that you are saved. It is not enough that Christ would die for us, but we must receive that gift. We must appropriate that gift by grace through faith. 
We are not asked to take blood and wipe it on our doors. We are asked to place our undying faith in the Lamb of God who is this, became the sin of the world and took it away. We are called by grace to enter through faith into a relationship with him. This is why John the Apostle says that although those who uh, received him, uh, those, his own people rejected him, those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You appropriate this salvation by receiving Christ. You appropriate this salvation not by painting your doorposts or putting the Ten Commandments out in your front yard or wearing a crucifix or a cross. You appropriate this not by praying the sinner's prayer. You appropriate this by ceasing to trust in your own works and your own righteousness and crying out to the Lord Jesus and receiving his grace by faith, trusting only in his finished work. And that is where true liberty and true freedom comes from. Believe in Christ be baptized. If you want to look for something which is physical, which is identifiable, don't look to paint your door. Look to go forward in public profession of faith through baptism. For that's how a person identifies with Christ. And you can find out how to do that on our website. And then belong to community. When they celebrated, when they celebrated the Passover, they ne- never did so as individuals. They did so as families. That's why community groups are so important. And biblical community is so important here at Grace Community Church. For you cannot appropriate and walk out your faith unless you do it side by side with other people who have been liberated so that you might help others to become liberated. So check out afterwards the virtual lobby and become connected. Stick around for getting to know Grace after the sermon. And then the second truth is this. Each family under the blood has been freed not just from sin and the bondage that comes from it, but we have been freed from sin for worship. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, because of his mercies, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Did you catch that? Because of what Christ has done for us, the shedding of his blood, being the Passover lamb, having received that, having believed and received the forgiveness and the grace that comes through Christ, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. You see, we've been set free from sin and bondage so that we might be free for worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are that Passover lamb. We thank you that you loved us so much that you have given your life for us. I pray for the person right now who is hearing this maybe for the first time or not the first time, could be the the hundredth time, and they're just now starting to realize that you died for them. I pray that you would move them in their hearts to cry out to you, to cry out and just to receive you. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Thank you for being my Passover lamb. Thank you for shedding your blood so that I would not be punished for my sins. Thank you for giving me your righteousness. And I pray, Father, you'd save those people by grace through faith. And Father, for those of us who have been following you for a week or two weeks or 20 years or or longer, would you help us, Lord, to live free, to live free, not to tyrannize or oppress others, but to live for you who died for us, not to pursue our own happiness, but pursue the kingdom of God. And in righteousness, pursue the advancement of your kingdom. 
that we might see captives liberated, that we might live for you who died for us, that we might be embody your kingdom and be salt and light in this world. Father, forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for the times that we live as if we have no sovereign when you quite clearly are our sovereign. Lord, we bow our knee to you. We worship you. We thank you that we live in a nation that allows us the freedom to worship you. And we are grateful for the nation that we live in as we celebrate our own national independence. But we declare today our dependence upon you. For a people that is independent of God's rule is a people enslaved to their own sin. Lord, I pray for our nation that you would bring us to our knees, that people would cry out to you and they would long to be delivered from sin, from the oppression and tyranny of the pharaohs that rule upon each and every individual heart. I pray, Father, that you would set us free, that we might find freedom in Christ and that you might be exalted in this nation of ours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.